As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello and welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Another podcast, you ask? Didn't you do one early in the week? Yes, we did, but Handbrake, like a lot of the podcasts of The Athletic, has now gone twice weekly. Uh, most of the time, well, we'll be following games in the Europa League uh, on the Friday ones. But in this particular case, we're going to delve a bit deeper into some of the tactics and player roles in this Arsenal team. And to do that, we're going to need some top quality, multi-talented Arsenal analysts. Luckily, we've got a couple handy. It's Art de Roche and Adrian Clark. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Nice to see you guys. So Lucas Torreira has left the Arsenal, meaning that he is the official end of the Sven Mislintat era. Uh, James McNicholas has written a fascinating piece about that time. What we thought we'd do is we'll have a game of Mislintit or Mislintat, (laughs) which I know uh, that's of his signings. Essentially, he was the tit and he was the tat. Uh, Neither of them sound particularly positive, but we'll take a quick run through them. We'll start, we'll do this pretty briefly. I I should say before we do this, we bought that lot from 129.4 129.4 million and we sold him for 27.7 million. So Sven Gosh. did not do particularly well financially. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang bought for 58, sold for a free. Uh, Art, tit or tat? <laughs> well, I, I'm not really bringing finances into Aubameyang because I think he's probably the most positive one out of the bunch. So yes, won us an FA Cup, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think if tat is the positive one. Then it's, I it's think Tat would tat. have to be a yeah, he would have to be a positive one, really. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll go, we'll go alternate. Um, Adrian Lucas Torreira, uh, just gone, twenty six million, bought for, sold for six point seven. <laughs> I think you'd have to put Torreira down as a dip. <laughs> really? He, he what about the goal against Tottenham? I, I don't know whether we didn't do a due diligence on on whether he could. He would adapt in England, you know, adapt to, to, to living over here. I think that's How the can issue. you do that? How can you actually do that? I mean, in the end, it's down to the guy. You, you do the best you can with the language, help him buy a house, do all that stuff. But in the end, it's down to him, right? It is. Yeah, it is. But, yeah, it's a disappointment. I thought he started very well and I then just completely did. fell off the radar, didn't he? So you'd have to say for 26 million, it, it, it was 
it was pretty wasteful. Not because he's a terrible player, just because he was disposed with very, very early. So tit, essentially, is what we're saying for Lucas to... <laughs> I think. <laughs> sounds a bit harsh, but yeah. It does. Tat sounds harsh as well. But anyway, uh, but we're saying tat's positive. Bert Leno, Art, Bert Leno did well, uh, I thought, was, was a decent keeper, just not quite up to the standard that we needed. Is that fair enough? I mean, I'd say more than decent. I feel like he was, especially when you consider the point in time Arsenal were when, say, Petr Cech was in goal and then he just came in and looked so much more composed. He did. Was brought a real, I guess, confidence behind the defence, which wasn't there beforehand. And then when you look at the late Emery, Emery era, early Arteta era, he was probably one of Arsenal's players of the year in 2020 so I'd say much more than decent I I just feel Mm. like obviously with the way Arteta's wanted to play from that position he just doesn't have the tools that Ramsdale does and so for that I just I feel it'd be a bit harsh to say he was a tit. I think he, him <laughs> and Aubameyang are probably the biggest tats <laughs> on on the list. I reckon. Uh, so, I yeah, would you, say you've so. had you've had two kind ones there from Stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah not, that's, that's, that's true. Well, you got you got Adrian. You got uh, Socrates. <laughs> yeah, tit. <laughs> You're saying tit. The only thing I liked about Socrates, by the way, and it wasn't a huge amount, was when he used to put mm. his arm around the referee and, and essentially go, yes, I'm dealing yeah. with this. It's okay, ref, don't worry. We all get a bit heated in these moments. They're uh, not good enough, really. No, I just feel that we sort of, Mr. Tat used his Dortmund connections maybe one one too many times with, with that signing. Um, obviously, yeah. he, was, he was 30, I think, when he joined, around that age, and never the quickest. And we didn't have, you know, with Mustafi... We didn't have a lot of, you know, pace and mobility, particularly there. Koscielny was ageing. What we needed was more of a, you know, a younger model, I think, a Gabriel type there or a Saliba yeah. type at that time. So, yeah, 14.4 million for a 30-year-old that was never going to really improve the back four. I think I think that's, that's a bad one. No. Tit is what we're saying. Matteo Guendouzi, I mean, he's the only one, by the way, that we made a profit on our 7.2 million we bought him for, sold him for 8.5. But really a massive tit. (laughs) (laughs) It's unfortunate. It actually really is because I quite liked him as a player, especially that first season and then the first half season under Emery. I thought he, he was doing very well. And when you consider, I think he got his first call up for the national team after that that win against Spurs where we looked the best player on the pitch yeah and it's just I feel like you see probably he's the biggest the best kind of case with this how differently someone's career can go depending on a their application b how the manager perceives them and you see I think with Jorge uh, Sampaoli he's a manager who was obviously at Marseille last season yeah who tends to get the best out of those characters who are not probably, I guess, the safest players, (laughs) probably the ones who are a bit more rogue, a bit more maverick. He tends to get quite good performances, seasons out of them. It's just unfortunate the way it turned out for Guendouzi at Arsenal. But yeah, he's probably the first one out of my lot that, that falls into the tick category. I would say so. 
he should have been worth much more than eight and a half million yeah, when he left. And the reason he I wasn't agree. because as a footballer, he's worth a lot more. But they just yeah. couldn't wait to get rid of him. So, so you know that's 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 why we lost a lot of money there. I think. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Konstantinos Mavropanos, uh, Adrian. I mean, just didn't really play that much. I remember him playing at May United one time and looking a little bit out of his depth. He's got a bit of the mm. as the Greek Pablo Mari, one could say, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd go with. Tap because I don't want to be too harsh on him because he no. never really had an opportunity. And I do think there's a player in there. I mean, you look at the stats from, from the Bundesliga last season. He's done well. Mavropanos is right up there yeah. among the leading central defenders in, in in German football. So I think there's a real player there. It just was he just came in at the wrong time. And and maybe I think with a young player, you've got to if you make a great impression straight away in the first team, you're off and running, aren't you? But if you if you look wobbly in that first game or second game as well, then you might not get another another chance. I think I think that's what happened with him. Yeah, quite. Um, Stefan Licksteiner, uh, uh, Art. I mean, he came for free, went for free. Uh, he was just what was he forty eight when he came to us, something like that. I mean, he was very very old, wasn't he, in football in terms? I liked him a few years ago, but not for us. Right? No, I think the less said about his time at Arsenal, the better. I think yeah. we all know he's probably going in the tit. Category. I think he is going in the tick category. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. The one thing I remember from him was in that 4-2 and against Tottenham, he was on the bench and I can't remember who scored, but he went to go and celebrate. He tried to knee slide and he buckled over <laughs> over the top yeah, of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, I guess, just showed nothing really worked for him in North London. So No, yeah, not let's, really. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you, Stefan. The last one, Henrik Mikatarian. Uh, well, he was a player exchange for Alexis Sanchez, wasn't he? Unbelievable, that. And he went for a free, and that's what he was worth. Um, I mean, Adrian, <laughs> lovely footballer at times, but just... I don't know, diffident, I don't know. There's something very small about the way he played, I think. Yeah, it just didn't impact in games in, in the no. way that a player of his stature should have done. Too quiet, too timid. I mean, he's actually a really good pressing, attacking wide man. He's sort of known for you know, winning the ball in advanced areas and making things happen, but it didn't happen often enough, did it? Tit or tat? I think it's got to be a tit, um, yeah. but... <laughs> But I like him as a player. I don't. I yeah. Don't, yeah. I, th I think. I think there's a real player there. I don't think all of these players are bad players. It was just the wrong fit at the wrong time. I think he was a very Wenger player, Mkhitaryan, mm -hmm. and then yes. obviously yes. only spent six or half a season with him. And then, late Wenger, late Wenger yeah. player. I totally agree. Um, okay, that means the tits win five to three. Um, yeah, Sven Mislin Tit is what we're going to call you from now on. Thank you very much for that lot. Um, <laughs> by the way, we are, incidentally, we are recording this podcast on the 12th of August. And on this day in 2018, Unai Emery had his first game as Arsenal manager, a 2 0 defeat to Man City. The interesting thing about this is the lineup, basically. Uh, Czech, Bellerin, Socrates, Mustafi, uh, Ainsley, Maitland Niles, Gwen Doozy and Xhaka, Mikitarian, Ramsey, Ozil, and Abamyang, and Lichtsteiner, Lacazette, and Torreira on the bench. The only players still at the club right now as of this time of the recording are Hector Bellerin, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and of course Granite Xhaka who I believe will still be playing for Arsenal when the earth runs out of water. What, next year? <laughs> next year. <laughs> <yes. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, over on the Athletic uh, website this week, uh, Change 
has been sweeping the nation. Um, <laughs> as tactical guru John Muller has declared that we should discuss positions no more. Uh, instead, it's now all about player roles. Uh, Art, you wrote about this on the back of that piece. Can you just explain to us briefly what player roles means, Art, and why is it different? It's not a particularly new idea, I'd say. People who've played football manager probably know all about them already. So I guess if you're looking at um, a centre forward, you could say, oh, that guy's a false nine, that guy's a target man, or look at it in a different way. Or in an Arsenal perspective, the easiest way to maybe look at it is how they use their fullbacks. So Kieran Tierney overlaps a lot. He's basically on the touchline the whole game, whereas Zinchenko may go inside a bit more to progress the ball. So that's basically the, I guess, hopefully an easy explanation of it. Just people yeah. play the same position, but they might play it in a different way. That's basically there, it. There are 18 different player roles, aren't there? Is that right? I think I got that right. I think uh, yeah, that's, that's what he's kind of come up with. Obviously, I think um, with some, there may be a bit of overlap, especially I think I found that was the case when doing that Saka piece because as everyone who follows Arsenal knows Saka is probably the most versatile player Arsenal have had in ages well Um, we'll get we'll get to Bukayo (laughs) Saka because I want to talk about him specifically Adrian you've had a look at this right I mean you're statistically minded a tactical guy I mean (laughs) do you like this sort of stuff do you think it's it's useful I do, yeah, I like the concept of it. I mean, it, as Art says, I think it's, it's nothing brand new. I think that managers and coaches, dating back to when I played, would mm. would have seen me, I don't know, me as more of an unlocker or a creator as a winger rather than a wide threat or one of these guys that, that crashes the box and, and whatnot. So I think... The, the, the labels all make sense to me. I, think, I, I like the concept. What, it, what, what I think is good here is that we're, we're using the, def- the data in quite a clear way to define players' styles. It's a good use of numbers because um, I've never been... I don't think we should ever be hung up on positions. In the course of a match, the shape looks yep. completely different at, at various yes. points. You know, I played left wing, right wing, left wing back... Uh, central midfield, number 10, striker. I played in all of those different positions. So, but, but, but I could look at this wagon wheel and say, actually, in all of those positions, I was probably this, this style of player. And that's what I was. Probably, I don't know, an unlocker or a creator. It's probably, probably what I was. Um, so, so, yeah, it, I think it's a fairer definition for players. But, but the fluidity is interesting. I, I found Kane's... Harry Kane, I know that we shouldn't mention Harry Kane on this podcast, <laughs> but his, his uh, change of hey, style... Fan. He's an Arsenal fan, it's perfectly fine. Of course fine he is, yeah, he probably him. listens. Uh, he, um, <laughs> his change in style has been quite dramatic, and that yeah. is outlined with, with the use of the numbers in this piece from, from John Muller, which I thought was excellent, and, and, and Art's right about Saka. Saka. Saka is evolving all of the time yes. into, yeah, into different different categories. And I, I think I, if you've got players, if you've got players across three or four of these, categories with one player that's a really exciting thing to have 
Well, I, I think I, I think you're absolutely right about Saka. And like I say, we'll get to him. But just back to Zinchenko and Tierney for a while. If you're uh, an opposing manager, are and you're playing against Arsenal, if Zinchenko's in the team, you're setting up differently than if you go on what's going on here. From if Kieran Tierney's in the team, if Kieran Tierney's in the team, you sort of get an idea, ah, right, they're going to aim for him to overlap and get the crosses in, so we'll stop that. If Zinchenko's in the team, you're going to be slightly narrower in the way you play, say. Yeah, and I think this is what we've been talking about from an Arsenal perspective basically all summer, where they're looking at players who not just add, say, depth and quality, but they pose different problems to opposition managers and players. So you're just less, I guess, predictable when you come up against, say, a team who wants to sit deep. You may you may use Tierney because he can get down the line and whip across in, or you may use Zinchenko to kind of go go through the middle of the pitch and maybe unlock them that way. So I think, um, yeah, having different different options helps most of the time because it you just get back to that point where the opposition's moving the whole time and they don't really know who to pick up. You're pulling you're pulling them about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's the key thing, I think. I think that this is the, this outlook or this this way of looking at, at players, defining them, is is very helpful for managers because it's yeah, you need a balance, don't you? There's no point having three three guys in behind the main striker that are all in the same category, for example. So yeah, you you probably want one, you know, one wide threat, one creator, one I don't know, box crasher. I think was one of the terms there. You, it, 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 but but again, it's nothing new. Good managers like to find balanced teams where you have different types of types of players to offer offer uh, varying qualities in and out of possession. So yeah, that, that's all it is. But I found it interesting to to read and to look at and. It's probably the way I, I view football anyway, rather than positions. Yeah, but as you say, it's an evolved way of looking at football, isn't it? When you see mm. the way Man City play and the way Arsenal are trying to play, the, the mm. way that the fullbacks have different roles and sometimes they come in and sometimes they go out wide. And it's not, mm. you know, I grew up in an era where it was one to 11 and two and three were the fullbacks and four and five were the, uh, or five and six were the centre backs and four was, you know, we, listen, <laughs> anyone over a certain age will be able to tell you exactly what positions those players played in. You, you, d- you did, and it was a bit more in straight lines, I guess, because the style of football has, has, has um, improved, hasn't it? I think modern football, there's a bit more um, sophistication for, about English teams oh, generally than, than there were years ago, um, and there's more, a bit more movement. But I remember playing for Stevenage in a friendly against Arsenal in 2001 or 2000, not long after I'd left, actually, and... Um, and goodness me, I'd been used to playing, I think, in, in Leagues 1 and Leagues 2. So then coming up against them, albeit in a friendly, the movement was um, was insane. Yeah. Yeah, players were popping up here, there and everywhere. Um, and this was going back 20 years now. Again, it's not new. That Arsene Wenger had players drifting into pockets and others mo- moving out wide. It's it's not a revolution, but it's um, but but I think, yeah, in general... Tactics have become more sophisticated of late. They have. Um, I mean, we looked... Uh, you had a look particularly at Bukayo Saka. Um, I mean, it, years ago, I would have described Bukayo Saka really as a winger, to be honest with you. I mean, he takes people on, goes outside, crosses the ball. He's not 
Stanley Matthews, for those of a certain vintage. <laughs> he's not um, he's not um, one of the guys like Steve Coppel or someone like that, but he has, you know, he certainly has uh, the qualities of a wing player, but he's much more than that. How would you describe him using one of these 18 criteria? I mean, he, in terms of what he does the most? Well, I mean... <sighs> Even even doing that, I feel, is almost a disservice to Saka because I guess he is a wide threat because he plays on the right mostly and stays high and wide, is able to commit a player, go both ways inside and out and combines really well with those around him. But looking at Bukayo Saka, the football player, for his whole career, I'd just say he's an all-rounder. He can do he's a baller. He's a baller, isn't he? Essentially. I mean, I mean, listen, let's be fair. Aside from centre half, he could play pretty much any position on the pitch, couldn't he? Exactly. I, I mean, think he's that good. You see, he came in as well, he he did come in as a winger, but then had to fill in at uh, left back slash left wing back. Uh, so I guess he'd view him more as an overlapper during that time. But then in his second full season, so um, 2020-21, that season. He played, I think he played left back, left wing, right wing, centre mid. And in all those kind of positions, he didn't look out of place. Um, and I think what he developed was just, or maybe he already had it, he just needed to show it to people, was he was capable of performing different roles to a very high standard. And I just feel like Arsenal probably don't or many teams don't have a player like that who can just fill in wherever they need to and it gives gives Arsenal a lot of flexibility which they need but if we're looking at say how his game's evolved he's definitely become more of a wide threat because he is out on that right wing a lot more is that the best use of his talents then in that position where he is at the moment I mean right now Mikel Arteta thinks it is but do you agree? It's working, isn't it? If it's it working, is working. It is. He looks very good. He's contributing. Yeah. This is the, in the here and now. He is a wide threat. I like the way he stretches opposition teams. He plays high. He can run in behind with the ball. He can run in behind without it. And and his decision making is is just off the scale good. Really in and around the final third. That's what separates him, in my opinion, from the vast majority of other good young players. In those key moments, he makes the right choices nine times out of ten, and and he's a very special player. I've looked at this wagon wheel of eighteen different qualities, and I, I think you could put Saka in eleven of them. That's yeah. that's how good he is. That's yeah. how good and how varied he is. And what he is now, he's a wide threat. He could easily b- develop into a central midfielder, in my opinion, yep. in the future because of his technical ability and you know the willingness to sort of see those forward passes. So. Yeah, we can we can use him kind of wherever we like, but in the here and now, because he's young, because he's he's getting more and more powerful. I think with every passing season, it suits him to be um, to be that that wide wide guy. A wide threat, by the way, if you need a, a definition. A player who stretches the back line, gets into the penalty area and is as comfortable supplying the final ball as they are finishing it, which is certainly uh, Bukayo Saka. One thing you said, Art, in the piece, that you said that he developed this thing where he was when he was controlling the ball on the back foot to basically give himself even more space. I mean, these are the fine margins we're talking about, right? Yeah, so that whole thing about receiving on the back foot is something that I kind of... 
got a little bit obsessed with because you just saw players who were able to do that were just gave themselves so much more time and space than players who say if their back's to goal and they receive on the front foot, their first touch takes them towards their own goal. Yeah, Whereas so if why, you yeah. receive it on their back foot, you're able to take it on that foot and then your next touch is forwards. Um, so Smith Rowe does it a lot, did it a lot when he first broke into the team and it's why he was able to speed speed Arsenal's play up so quickly. Um, Phil Foden does it a lot, Mason Mount as well. And there are loads of players who've done it for years. It's not like this new <laughs> new skill or whatever. It's just... I remember Robert Perez doing Perez it. Perez did it a lot as well. And I feel like um, when you have a player who's so technically proficient, it just, it raises the level of the team so much because you're able to play so much more quickly. And again, just keep keep yourself or keep the opposition guessing because they're not going to be able to live with that. Everyone talks about Saka being this quick, powerful player. But I think within that, you can't really forget how good technically he is as well, because that is something that really does elevate him past other players, I feel. Yeah, there was uh, uh, Ben M, who uh, made a comment on the Athletic site uh, just briefly. He said, I'd be intrigued intrigued to see where someone like Granit Xhaka fits in with his new role. Adrian, I mean... I mean, we know holding midfield player is not necessarily his best position because Arsene Wenger played him there for three years, uh, and uh, we and uh, I I think I watched Graham Souness pick apart his lack of tracking back on about eight different occasions, uh, or Alan Shearer on match of the day. But where does he fit in on this wagon wheel then, or or, or is it not that important in the end? If you have one type of player, you know that you're going to need another type of player and you just, and you go, even if you're not exactly the sort of person who can do this role, we need you to do this role because we've got this other guy next to you who does that role. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, again, it's about balance. I mean, one thing that's maybe absent on this list is sort of a stopper because it's all the midfield positions are based around what they're like on the ball. There's not too much of a reference to to what they do in regards to breaking up play, etc. Yeah, where's Claude so, McAlealy? Where's Claude McAlealy yeah, exactly. in here? Exactly. So so I think if there's one flaw, and I don't want to be critical of it, because I think it's a really good really good idea, and, I, and I, there's so much to like about it. But yeah, the, that, there is a bit of a hole there. Um, Thomas Partey is the builder. Okay, so he's the one that, that builds the attacks from D. He gets the ball in deep areas and starts the moves. Xhaka can do that, but he's not quite as good as Thomas Partey out there. I, I would say he's very clearly a distributor. That's the that's the category, it's the definition of which is favours longer, more direct passes and switches, active in the opponent's half more than a defensive. And I think when you think about when Xhaka gets on the ball, it's, it's mainly in the opposition half. He's looking to play those forward passes. Um, well, we'll go. D- I'll tell you he- what, Adrian, we will go deeper into that next week because we want to do one, although uh, Art has his hand up. So go on, Art, you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, this is major started, credit. Ben. Yeah, this is major credit to Adrian because I had a similar thought to Ben. Um, <laughs> so I asked what was Xhaka's kind of roles. Uh, and he- so first few seasons at Arsenal, he's more of a distributor. And then everyone remembers when Arteta came in, he made him more... We I, At the time, we called it more of a quarterback kind of thing, where he'd drop in between uh, the left-back and the left-centre-back. And for those two seasons, so 2019-20, 2020-21, 20, 
he was more of a builder, um, which probably makes sense because he was a lot deeper. And then last year, uh, he was more of a distributor again, which again, makes sense because of what Adrian was saying in terms of him going into more advanced areas. I've, I've got a stat for you, which I think is quite interesting. In, in 2017-18, he completed nearly 3,000 passes. I think 2-7, Last season, albeit with 10 fewer matches, it was less than half of that. Um, so he, that's the involvement. So basically, he's getting less of the ball, he's making fewer passes, but he's getting onto the ball a little bit higher up the pitch. I think that's the key difference. And you could you box to box is probably the the other term where he, he could fit into, I guess. But I don't see him as a natural box to box guy. His strength is getting it and playing a forward pass. Um, and and yeah, he, I think I think he does it very well for all the, you know flaws and, and the reasons why people aren't sure about Granite, he is very good at distributing wow. the ball. Four years later, after Unomri's first team, um, he's the only one still in it uh, on any sort of regular basis. Um, well, there you go, Ben. We were going to do it next week. We seem to have done it now. <laughs> We've got plenty of other. We get There's plenty of others uh, we can look at. Um, this is Handbrake Off, Ian Stone, Art de Rochelle, Adrian Clark here with you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Let's talk a bit about the captaincy. Martin Odegaard is the captain. Uh, Granite Xhaka has been speaking about how he doesn't need an armband to be the leader. I think there's there's no doubt that he's a leader in the dressing room. Adrian, how important is a captain nowadays? I mean, I mean, uh, uh, back when you played, which sounds like you played in like 1848 or something, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> not far off. Yeah, back, not far off. Back, back when you played, do you remember when everyone was wearing top hats? Do you remember that? And they, play, they played in morning dress. Um, those, those were great days. You used to smoke a pipe when you were playing in midfield, didn't you? Um, yeah, back in those days, captains, I mean, Tony Adams, of course, who we will come to because there's some news regarding TA, but... But he was the captain. But there were other leaders on the pitch as well. All the, there were plenty of others. How important is that role now? I, I, 
I like to have. I like to be in teams that have a strong captain, someone that sets the right examples, and that the opposition teams fear a little bit. I, do, I, I think when Patrick was captain, I think that was a really you know, when he stood at the front of the line. I thought it made a difference. I really did. Same with Tony Adams, such a such a strong strong player, a, a legend. So yeah, I think it, it it makes a bit of a difference. But you've you've got to have lots of leaders. Like Lee Dixon was very all of yeah. so many of that team in the mid nineties were were leaders. And and they loved football. And you see you see how much they love football because they're still all in the game. Ian Wright. You know, what he was a leader. He didn't he, he very rarely had the armband. I think I played in one of the games where he actually had it against Everton. He scored a goal and he did that famous sort of um touching the armband celebration. Yeah, an absolute leader. So the the only danger is, and this this is from my experience, is if you have too many leaders or too many strong voices in the dressing room that that have conflicting messages, it's a big problem. Um, if you, yeah, you've got two or three guys that are saying one thing and another person saying something else, it becomes a mess. You've got to all be on the same page as regards to what the manager wants. And if you are, then these these vocal presences help the younger guys. They help the rookies hugely. If it's muddled and the messages aren't aren't the same, yeah. then, then it, it's just chaos. And that's where that's where big problems occur. I, I don't yeah. think that's an issue right now at Arsenal, I have to say. No, I think, no. I think it's heading in the right direction. When you see when you see sometimes with the French at the World Cup or the Dutch or something. Yes, yeah, and, exactly. and it's not Yeah, a good example. <laughs> it's not not particularly helpful, I agree. But when <laughs> I mean we've all said oh, Martin Odegaard, you know, captain of Norway, he's got that quiet authority that people look to I mean it is it was I mean we talked about this the other week but he is the right choice and and but you need others as well don't you to step up uh, like a in cricket you have a, a a sort of captaincy a leadership group don't you so you have mm. the captain you have about three or four others and maybe that's the sort of thing you need in a football team as well yeah well obviously Unai Emery tried to do that first at Arsenal and Arteta was actually asked about it last week whether they're still is going to be a leadership group and he said yes he didn't obviously he didn't say who was in it but we all saw well we've all seen what Granit Xhaka has had to say about it and I think that's he's just said what most people know it's just nice that it's actually come from his mouth and I just feel like these guys are adults they're not in secondary school anymore they're gonna have to regulate themselves when Arteta's is not around it's I don't think anyone's or anyone should be looking at it as be all and end all of Arsenal Football Club. It's just get on with it. You guys are running the dressing room and that's fine. Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to sit in on a, a seminar with uh, Ian Foster, the, the head coach of the All Blacks. And it was, fa- it was a fascinating listen. It really was. And so much of it was about leadership groups and empowering the players to make the right decisions on the pitch. So basically that they will have very separate meetings with mm. the group of with the leadership group whereby the manager will pass on so, so many observations but they'll also talk it through as a group where they're sort of peer to peer and they thrash out what they think is going to work and then the manager the idea is that the manager really doesn't have to do too much on a match day because they're no. all empowered to make the right calls at the right times so now rugby's a very different game to football it's more stop start it's more yeah there's less flow to it it's more predictable so i think it works better in rugby than football but i think the premise is is a good one uh, and 
if you have that leadership group, it it, it does also mean that that those more vocal characters are on the same page as the manager, which is absolutely crucial. And, and one more thing, Adrian. What about this whole idea? You know that we used to hear them say, Tony, Tony Adams used to say, "You need seven in the trenches." Because that was one of the things that people used to complain about late Wenger Arsenal mm. was that there weren't mm. enough people who would step up and fight for you. When you looked at early Wenger Arsenal and you had and you had Dennis Bergkamp and you had Lauren and you had Ray Parler and you had all these players who, if there was a fight, basically would jump in. <laughs> um, I mean, it's trust, that's what. Yeah. But but you need that, don't you? You need that, and that's what we're talking about with captaincy. That's what people used to talk about. Sorry, with captaincy in the past, it's a subtly different role now. But you need that, don't you? That fight on the pitch. You need, yeah. You need to know that if you muck up, your mate's going to be behind you to to save the day, and it's going to cover cover your back, and 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 that trust builds up over time. And normally in away games, tough away games, that is where you see who's prepared to fight and dig in and push themselves to the absolute limit to make sure that you don't get beaten, for example, or you don't concede a goal. And and once, you know, players come through those stiff tests, that's when the Tony Adams will say, well, yeah, I'm, he's, he'll do he's for there. me. He's yeah, there he'll by do my for side, me. yeah. And, 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 and yeah, and it, the more of those you can get into the team, obviously, the better. And... I mean, I look at the team at the moment, the Arsenal team. I, I don't see any like obvious weak links, players that no. will let you down. Attitude-wise, I think in recent, in, maybe in the latter Wenger years and during the Emery, Emery period um, and the early Arteta time, there were one or two you could look at and say, "Can I trust them week in, week out to 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 put yeah put in that that hundred hundred and ten percent?" And and that's where you need to get to. That's quite, well, quite. I mean, Art, you were speaking uh, with Aaron Ramsdale and that quote that he talked about, uh, uh, Gabriel Magalhães, uh, doesn't speak much English, but with the Portuguese and Brazilian lads, he's definitely someone who has a voice. I mean, essentially, that's a little subgroup, isn't it, almost, where Gabby's the, the, the well, Gabby is the leader of the other Gabbies, uh, <laughs> essentially, in that <laughs> particular Gabby, case. Big Gabby's the leader. Big Gabby, <laughs> as opposed to, uh, you know, G, the other Gabbies. But that's the point, isn't it, really? You, you have these subgroups as well, and players, so the defenders maybe will look after each other. In this particular case, the Portuguese-speaking lads will look after each other. These things are important. Yeah, I think when you look at Adrian's example from rugby, obviously in rugby they ha- it's very, I guess, much segmented in some ways where they have the forwards and then the backs. So you can look at it from that perspective in rugby and football. You still have units. You you'd have your defensive unit, which might include a few midfielders in there. So maybe Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka would be a bit deeper in midfield. And I think even in the one of the Amazon uh, All or Nothing episodes, there literally is a defenders meeting where they talk about how compact they are. So I think you you would have those those voices within those units that are more prevalent. So if you say Big Gabby with the Portuguese speaking guys, that makes sense. And I think also just in terms of the character as well, even if he's not speaking English, say if Ben White or Rob Holden's next to him. I think they know they, that they can depend on him. So I think, yeah, across the board, you have those little subsections which make up <laughs> the 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 unit as one. So I don't think there's any hurt in having those 
people who maybe lead one pocket and then are seen as those seven in the trenches, maybe those individual leaders come up as one. Well, it's working at the moment, isn't it? And uh, we'll see against Leicester tomorrow. Um, finally, before we will, we we will. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Finally, um, <laughs> Tony Adams uh, is joining the Strictly Come Dancing cast. You may have seen the news. I mean, listen, he's been writing poetry and playing the piano for the last 15 years. It, it was an inevitable consequence, wasn't it, really? He'll be up at the Edinburgh Festival with me in a couple of years, won't he? <laughs> uh, 4.15 at the Pleasance Grand. Adrian, you knew him from his playing days. Uh, can he? Uh, have you seen him dancing? <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, with Tony Adams, you have to... You see two people. You've got original Tony and you've got the Tony of now and the original well, Tony. Well, it's drinking Tony and non-drinking drink, Tony, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, really? yeah. So, yeah, drinking Tony would just be at the bar. He'd never be... He'd only be, only be on the dance floor late doors. Um, yeah. Modern Tony, I suspect... Has probably had salsa lessons and and is is very comfortable. Certainly in the costumes, he's not going to worry about that. I mean, anyone that's seen Tony Tony's clobber in recent years with those bright suits <laughs> yeah, will realise that he's not shy. It's he's true. not shy. It's true. It's, it's been like a three-year audition for Strictly, isn't it? Really. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the clothes yeah. he's been wearing. Footballers are competitive, so I think he will be he will be super competitive and work really really hard. But is. He's definitely not an natural. I mean, you would imagine he's a bit ungainly with some of the quicker stuff. <laughs> but I, I think with the tango, uh, yeah, the tango or the or the waltz. I, I think he's got that stature. I think he'll absolutely love that standing tall. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the, the quicker stuff. I, I can't wait to watch it. I really can't. I don't really watch Strictly, but I, I definitely will this year with, with, with TA in it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, are you worried about some of the Latin stuff? Do you think he can shake his hips uh, enough? Ooh. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if he's playing on the wing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, like Adrian, I never really pay attention to Strictly on dancing, but maybe this year I might give a few episodes a watch. Gunas, come on. You've got to watch Tony Adams on Strictly Come Dancing. If Arsenal if fans get behind him, he can stay in, he can stay in all the way through. <laughs> well, that is the point, really. If he applies himself, which you know he will, because he is that guy, right? If he applies himself and he actually gets pretty good, the Arsenal vote could carry him quite a long way. Definitely worth a little long odds bet there, Tony Adams on Strictly Come Dancing. Um, so let's have a song uh, to end this podcast. Uh, Art, what have you got for us? All right, again, there's no reason really behind this. Um, actually, there is. I usually put a clip out whenever Ben White has a good game. Uh, it's the theme song from a cartoon called Ben 10, which was on Cartoon Network a few okay. years ago. So I'm going to go for that because he played quite well at Palace. And I actually need to figure out a song go for William Saliba at some point so I'll go for that oh, I get working on William Saliba in the meantime Adrian what you got uh, I'm going to go for Whitney Houston uh, I want to dance with somebody because Tony 
definitely wants to dance <laughs> with somebody and he doesn't yet know who he's going to dance with, does he? Who so his partner, he's no. e- eagerly waiting for his partner. So, yeah, Tony Adams, I want to dance with somebody. All right, well, I've gone for a similar theme. I've gone for Sister <laughs> Sledge and the greatest dancer, of course. Awah. Anyway, that's it. Leicester tomorrow, if you're listening on Friday, up the arsenal, of course. And... Uh, thank you to Art and thank you to Adrian and thank you to Abby, our producer. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See ya.